welcome back to the podcast where anybody can inspire everybody. Now, Edric Poon and Company is proud to present a brand new member of our family this week, and that's Mr. Albert Liang, the founder of BeepLab. Now, BeepLab is an education and training consultancy in design thinking for kids and youth. How does it work? Let's find out. So, so you were saying that this is your first time on a podcast, is it? Yeah, yeah, this is the first time. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. the thing is that in your line of work, I would expect uh, quite a bit of media coverage, right? You're working with youth, you're working with kids, and you're teaching them architectural design and all that, right? Yeah, I mean, virtual. I mean, uh, that could be a virtual video or Facebook Live, uh, but I mean, podcast listening live uh, is a bit different. Yeah. Ah, okay. Uh, like I video, mean, video show. Cool, cool, yeah. cool. Hey, then for those who are actually listening right now, right? Uh, would you be able to introduce a little bit more about Beep Lab, please? Okay, sure. Uh, so uh, let me just, uh, I mean, first introduce what does Beep stands for. Beep stands for Built Environment Experiential Program. So we're actually a bunch of uh, architects who, who went a little bit crazy, wanting to mix education and experiential learning together yeah, to, to, uh, to make uh, design and architecture become enjoyable. Because a lot of people think that architecture, they call it architecture. So we want to change that mindset. Uh, and also kind of like uh, BeatBlab also, we wanted to be a platform for children and young people to learn about the design architecture all around us. And also help uh, architects or uh, architecture students who are jaded a little bit to reignite their passion. Yeah, because sometimes you know, in in like you know, in doing all the hard work, you sometimes lose the purpose. Huh? but when it comes back to the teaching of fundamentals, you know, you can come back and find the first love. Especially when you work with young children, uh, the children ask you, "Hey, uncle, oh, go go, why 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 are you doing what you're doing?" You know, you probably don't want to be the person, uh, to to make the kid feel like, "Ooh, architecture sucks," right? You want to like tell something that, "Hey, you know, I have a dream as well." <laughs> so that's why BeatBlab uh, wants to be that uh, like the platform to help people to dream and imagine. How long have you been in business so far? Officially about two and a half years since uh, 2018. But all in all from the start of the journey, we started since 2015 actually. I, I pop up my first workshop in my mom's uh, dental clinic. She had a she had a like a empty office space, uh. So I say, uh, hey mom, uh, no, you got this empty room, uh. Can I like just use it to to run a workshop for the the kids in the community? Uh, but eventually, of course, it grew from a community workshop to uh, we we work with the architecture company as a corporate social responsibility project. Yeah, so that's how we kind of like get things moving. <laughs> that's damn cool, man. And you wrote all the the training programs by yourself. Oh yeah, I mean, okay, program definitely some is something that I I love to make uh, the experience. But I would say that the fundamentals and some of the pedagogy, right? Uh, it's actually, it didn't just purely come from myself. Actually, when I was starting out, uh, I was looking for a mentor. So actually, I I wrote to a I also of course the first thing I was I was googling like see who else in the world does architecture for children. So I happened to found this uh, Dr. N Taylor. She was eighty two years old at the point of time when I found her. And she's based in uh, University of New Mexico in US. So I wrote to her, you know, as a as a young kid, I say, hey, you know, I'm a I'm I'm an architect in Singapore. I uh, wanted to teach kids architecture, and I saw that you have a book, you know. So so she was very happy to 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 uh to kind of like let me order the book from her, uh, and also through that book, it, it, it kind of opened my eyes to see how we can bring such a so called uh complex multidisciplinary topics such as architecture 
two children. So that, from there on, uh, I built my foundation upon her works. Uh, because she's mainly an academic research uh, and also uh, kind of like a curriculum planner. But I, I felt that what I can do and contribute at the point was to convert those academic paper or like academic research into actual tangible fun program. Lah. Yeah, so that's how we started uh, things going uh, when we came uh, 2015 back in Singapore. Right, yeah. right, right. And then uh, from there, you've grown strength to strength already. Now you're having camps, you're having what, uh, sessions every week? There are a few different, uh, a few different scopes. Uh, so for example, partnership with school, uh, and because oh, and also because we are social enterprise, we actually work with uh, like uh, uh, like voluntary welfare organization PWOs mm. with student care. So another platform apart from school is uh, student care, uh, student care services where kids after school they go go to there to do homework. You know, uh, so so I I, I I thought that was also a good point of entry. That's where kids are after school, and sometimes after school they have you know they're just doing their homework or do nothing or play game, right? So we're thinking how to bring meaningful activity and meaningful experience. Uh, so that's where uh, the initial phase of Beat Black was uh, as a CSR I mentioned with the architecture firm, uh, which is with, uh, with SAA Architects. So we actually brought up, uh, architecture practitioners into student care centers, mm. uh, you know, from different time to time. So at first there were weekly projects, there were also quarterly projects. Yeah, then eventually when Beat Black became a, 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 like a center on our own, we also do this, but we do that by partnering with the uh, Institute, Singapore Institute of Architects. So I, I believe that the works always doesn't come one singular source. Uh, you need to create a, a triangulation uh, where there's a partner that can create content. There is a kind of like a benefactor that can help to uh, give resources or even, uh, or even a location or venue. Uh, or even sometimes uh, connection. Uh. But of course, there's always a very important element called the beneficiary, which are the, the target beneficiary that we want to uh, value add uh, to their lives. So uh, from Big Lab's angle, we try to uh, position ourselves as a social enterprise content creator, bring joy, bring a uh, very value, high value uh, learning experience to these student care centers. Yeah. So, so far I mentioned school and student, student care centers, but at the same time, we also run our own studio uh, in our own place. But for a long time, we were doing it as a pop-up. Like, mm. uh, you know, whenever there is a demand, we, we, do, we do one. Or sometimes we homeschool groups. Uh, then we customize to the, the needs of the homeschool. So again, that platform is a bit more versatile, yeah, more flexible. Or sometimes uh, the, the fourth platform, apart from those studios that we call pop-up studios, is the events. Like sometimes like Science Center uh, or Design Center, they have like uh, festivals. Uh, then we go in to run some kind of engage exposure program. So those kind again uh, is is like a, a seasonal basis, uh. Yeah. Then uh, of course there are also holiday camps. The fifth kind of platform is camps, uh, that we do, we we conduct ourselves or work with schools. Yeah. And finally, the last platform uh, is a overseas partnership because uh, we also have a partner in Taiwan because I'm I'm from Taiwan actually. Ah. So uh so in a, in the midst of doing this program I, I met my partner who is based in Yilan uh who also had the passion to to spread this to the children. So you find that it's actually uh it's like charcoal and charcoal you know you spread the fire you know slowly a bit by bit lah. Yeah. Right. Hey that's really amazing stuff. I mean I I heard um uh you mentioning that you actually started this off in the architecture firm you were with at the time, right? Yeah. Were you already a partner or were you one of the employees when that started? Oh, I, 
I, I was one of the employee. In fact, uh, in fact, I actually left the firm. You know, so so actually, uh, what happened was I was with the firm doing a project with uh, uh Changi Terminal Four, but I have to leave because of obligations I have in Taiwan. I came back. So my previous employer was saying, hey, you know, since you're back to Singapore, why not you know go back to the Terminal Four project? You know, but I told the the the, the managing director, say, hey, I have a I have a dream. You know, I want to like take this chance to see whether I can. Uh, take it further. So he said, "Why not have a catch up?" You know, so I kind of just share with them the vision, uh, and how I saw education and architecture as a society kind of a uh, kind of contribution. It could be an angle that we could uh, bring it forward. So it kind of at that point aligned to their management goal, which is to create a good social engagement, lah. Mm. So eventually, we propose to see how whether it can be an entrepreneurship kind of a like create a department. But I I would just say it was opportunity by also they also had certain heart for it. I would say the the management and SAE,、mm. uh, and therefore they say, oh okay, seems like there's a match. Why why not we take it forward and we give a timeline like every twelve months we evaluate, six months we evaluate where we are.、Uh, so eventually we 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 had like about a thirty months runway to to see, test various scale of a CSR within a firm. So it was really quite interesting. Uh, from It was just an idea. Uh, from more in uh efforts was more internal staff engagement. So imagine、mm. like let's say in a firm, you want to bring your staff yeah you know, to do active uh volunteering community service, not going to do external uh works just that's just laborious, but is to use our architectural practice to teaching yeah to children. So that's that became an angle that we thought uh was quite uh effective. And also the the staff were able to uh come come like come along together to form teams to teach, yeah. So in fact, even my wife who was still uh, uh working in SA uh and their friends their colleagues we all like at different point of time participated in this uh CSR before, yeah. So it became like a like an internal thing, and then slowly there were other friends and architecture colleagues who are in other firms, but because this is a kind of like a like a CSR within a firm, so they couldn't really、uh, participate. You know, so so uh, that's why also when I started Big Black, I I thought it's very good to have a neutral platform where actually if you're architect from any firm, you know you could join us. You、mm. you're not tied up by uh liability or or, or commitment by any particular firm's ownership. So uh, I think that's why when Big Black is positioned more as a neutral social enterprise, uh, as more for focus on teaching and education, uh, I think it helps um、uh, to open up more opportunity. Uh, so so I think that is something that even uh for uh university students because even uh like practitioners whether they are like older old older practitioners or young practitioners they will feel that hey they are safer to come to this space、mm. to teach because this is not a zone to represent any political view or、right. <laughs> or any firm's uh agenda right yeah the agenda is just to teach and also bring experiential yeah if you want to do good you know you just join us like it doesn't matter where you're from right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's、so、really that's good plan to make, lah. Yeah. <laughs>、mm. yeah. So I, I, I wanted、like... to ask you one thing, ah,、uh, is that, yeah, um, you know, looking back at 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 this whole journey, right, of um doing bringing it up entrepreneurship and eventually just going out on your own. You 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 yourself also mentioned that you didn't have plans for that, but in retrospect, <laughs> right, you if do you think that if you had never opened your mouth, ah,、uh, and actually said, you know, that I have that dream, ah,、uh, do you think that This would have happened eventually.、Mm, you're right.、Uh, actually, 
at that point of time, if, if, if I never say and never ask, I think uh, it might be delayed in a long time because I feel that there's no right answer, but timing plays a part. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and when we decide to so-called sabotage ourselves by uh, putting our dream aside, sometimes uh, really the dream, the dream won't disappear immediately, but the opportunity that comes along with the dream might uh, delay for a while. Lah. So I'm, I was quite glad that at least I taken my face to just, just say it. Because, uh, I mean, honestly, when I came back, I, I wasn't in a good financial state as well. It was easier to just say, oh, okay, got a project. Okay, I go back to my job. But I just got this in, very itchy feeling that I cannot just, I mean, after going through all that, you know, I cannot just go back to where I was mm. uh, 10 months ago. Like I said, it can't be. There must be something more than this 10 months. This 10 months must be not just for me to say, oh, I'm happy to go back to where I was. But uh, I mean, to some maybe yes, but for me at the point, I, I, I believe uh, to move forward is I have to also reach to, into the unknowns. Uh. Yeah. Right, Even and, yeah, and you were comfortable, it. right, at that point when when you were kind of doing it full time. Then after that, then when you finally started doing beep, the, the, uh, or at least when you were with uh, the architecture from SA at that time, um, and decided to do that beep project, uh, um, yeah, did did it kind of reignite a certain fire? Did it? How how was it for you, uh, at that point? Honestly, uh, okay, there were there were two feelings. One it was, um, I mean, there was a comfort zone period where. After about twenty four months into the 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 entrepreneur journey, uh, he also did realize, hey, okay, I mean, like, uh, I'm getting by quite comfortably, you know. Uh, I could I could do the things I want to do, uh, mobilize the resources that I wanted, uh, but the impact, what what really got me bothered was the impact that uh that I was hoping for uh uh for the children and the and also the education resource, and also at the same time the impact for the sustainability because. Uh, after a while, people also ask, okay, yes, as a firm, we do good, but I mean, uh, at, what, at what cost or like, mm. what is the end goal, right? So all those things became like uh, very pertinent questions that that, come, that directed at me. So at the same, there was a comfort zone, but at the same time, I was also feeling that uh, there's something uncomfortable of this comfort zone. Like it can't, it shouldn't be uh, in this state. It should be a sense of tension where I should be stretched. And then thinking about how to either turn this into something more scalable, more impactful. So, so I guess when the, 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 the transition comes to, to, to t- convert CSR to, into, into, the, into business, uh, it became something that I realized that I, I can no longer control it. I have to let go. I have to surrender certain ideals. All, all the things I had in B uh, and the thing I had in SAA, uh, I had to stay in SAA. So I have to kind of recreate also. I have to rethink about if I do leave, what do I uh, recreate for the mm. next next step? Yeah. So and what and, and when I do leave SAA, uh, what does those legacy stands uh, uh, stand for? You know. So it was it does it was a struggle like, definitely. Um, I struggled for about nine months uh, before I decided to say okay. Uh, I have to make a choice. I cannot stand in between too long. Right. Um, so yeah. Eventually, when I, when I do take the leap. Uh, it also again it wasn't like as though I have a great business plan. Uh, it's just that I I do saw that uh, when I leave the next six months I do have some projects like uh, teaching teaching projects in NUS. There was some uh, part time project that I could take on that was offered to me. Then I thought okay at least there was some runway uh, that perhaps in that runway I could uh, work out something. Yeah. So it was in uh, about three months time between the time I left to the time I started up the firm. 
uh, do branding exercise, uh, talk to an expert in uh, setting a company, social enterprise, talk to experts who are good, uh, good at branding or clarifying messages. And also, you have to talk to different people. Lah. So again, suddenly I was back to the place of just being curious again at what this, how to move things forward. Uh, so again, I, I, felt, I, felt, I felt that that was also another very exciting moment uh, because from uh, plateau, you know, either you plateau and then you decline and you die. You know, mm-hmm. so at plateau, it's either you take, as you feel the decline, you, re, you have to again recharge and refresh, right? And relearn a lot of new things. So I felt that that was a process to help me relearn. I also took the chance to went to uh, WSQ to learn uh, instructional design and also uh, uh, adult facilitation. Uh-huh. You, you meet new people you, in the course. You meet people who are like thirty years older than you. Then you realize actually the problem that I'm facing is nothing. Like, like there there are other so, all sort of other problems that people have to face in life. Then you say, okay la. I mean like people get get through it. I mean now they're fifties. You know they also okay. You know happily. Why not? Like, like then you realize that a lot of the mental barriers of fear is actually mm. uh, is a is a self perceived uh, obstacle. Yeah. Then it's actually you you create those fear to scare yourself. Then you realize that uh, there are a lot more people willing to help you when you're willing to ask and say. Just like when the first time I, uh, when the uh, uh, SAS MD asked me why are you doing this, you know, it's the same thing. When they ask you why, they're not questioning you. They're actually just curious. Uh, what is it, why is it that you're uh, uh, you're turning down certain thing, and and uh, and what are you saying yes to? Uh, what is your no? Sometimes the no is actually more defining than a yes, because the no means that you're saying yes to a deeper yes that people don't see. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So so I think that was something that uh, again I got a chance to clarify, uh, about two and a half two and a half years ago. Yeah. So. I mean, looking back, I, I don't dare to call anything I do a, like a success or a milestone. I would only just say they were points of turning points. Uh, you know, sometimes when I draw it on the on the mathematical chart, uh, it's like a dy dx equals zero. You know, a turning point like the, that's that's where things equal to zero. But mm. it's in that turning point, right? Then you can change. You could change uh your ways, and then you could uh kind of evolve uh, You could evolve from there. Right. Yeah. Because without the turning points, uh, you. You could go down to a trajectory that uh, is undesirable for, for for yourself or for many others. Yeah. So I, I count those uh, turning points as a blessing. La. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's very interesting, uh, these uh, especially these learnings. Like, you know, when you mentioned the things about you know fear and all this, it just reminded me of bloody karate kid uh, back then we used to watch it, right? Uh, Mr. Miyagi <laughs> would say that like you can lose the fight, but you cannot lose to fear. Mm, so exactly. very very deep meanings are when you when you look at a thirty year old movie like that and you look back. You no, know, but uh, one thing you also mentioned right is that this this uh, whole program that you have for Beep it's all about teaching the kids, right? Um, mm. Question is why did you decide to choose kids, even though that you had uh, uh, taken let's say for uh, the the uh, what was that the certification in adult facilitation? Adult yes. Yeah, that's a good question. But you know, uh, I, I realized I cho- that I chose the adult facilitation because I know that to teach more kids, it means that I have to engage more adults. Mm. So this is a reverse thing. So I there's only one one me. But I want I want any one time maybe I can teach 20, 30 kids. But if I can teach 20 adults who have the passion for 20 other kids, that's 400 people. Mm. So I know mm. the multiplier effect is when you are able to engage more adults with the same passion. To more children, yeah. So that's why I the 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 step wasn't like oh I go to do a, a early childhood course in that three months, 
but instead I go and take a professional adult uh, training and assessment course where I could work with professional teachers, I could work with preschool teachers, I could work with uh, training trainers. You know, so it broadened up my, my, my perspective of, uh, of uh, learning and training. I see. Mm. I, that's very clever. You actually use that certification to kind of uh, set up the train the trainer uh, yes. aspect of things. while So that can help to multiply the number of kids as well. Uh. Yes. Hey, one more thing I have to ask you, right, about your business yep. model. Um, sure. Now, a friend of mine, Imis, uh, he, he founded charity, like, basically, uh, that mm. time around. And he mentioned to me uh, privately that if if you want to start up a social enterprise, you have to, number yeah. one, see it as a business and not as a charity. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. on your end, right, did you fall into that trap? Oh, okay. I'll tell you. I definitely fall into the trap of... Uh, I was thinking... Okay, I think the I first want to part, do good, you know? Then you forget about things like revenue. Oh, yes. I, I'm totally like that. I tell you, uh, like my, 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 my gatekeeper uh, is my, my wife. <laughs> she... she, she She's the one that helped me to also see that any business or any good thing that I want to do for the long run, you have to see the, the overall balance. Lah. Because I, I'm sometimes just too chill. I just, oh, I just want to do this. Okay, I, 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 I just want to do that. And therefore, I, I need to pull in this, pull in that. But I never think about like the, the resources at hand. But there are good things and bad things sometimes. But like, so when I first started out, because it's in a CSR setting, it's almost like there's some protection because mm. the firm actually uh, kind of coming helm the resource. Right. Uh, because uh, you're not taking on the operational cost. Exactly. Yeah. So until when I set up Big Black, then I realized, geez, wow, rental of a venue, okay, hiring a person or sustaining an office, wow, mm. it, it really comes at money. So for a good 30 months, I was provided a desk. Until when I left uh, SAA, I had to go to Big Black, I had to get my first desk. Uh, but I was very so graciously, graciously supported by a mentor in my, my church uh, who kind of paid for it by saying, okay, you can have a, a shared space, one desk at a certain, like a, like a, like almost like a co-sharing co kind of mm. cost. Uh, so it's very affordable. So I started with one desk. Like, okay, now I have to like just keep that in mind. But you know, gradually realize, oh, hey, I have other colleagues coming, two desks, three desks. You know, each desk, they come at a cost. Then you realize, Oh, it's not just a cost. Then you have to think about, oh, they, they need this software. They, did their laptop support this? Then I say, oh, last time in, in, when I was in the phone, I never think about like all this small, small thing that I need now. Oh, I need a bigger screen, you know? Oh, I, I, I need a, another tool. Then suddenly you realize, oh, okay, all these are on you. You have to think about it for them. And then you have to think about uh, payroll. You have to think about cash flow. You have to think about uh, resource allocation. You have to think about where's your ne next pay paycheck. You know, so so suddenly all those things feel extremely uncomfortable. Uh, but I was thankful I was in a uh an uh, environment where there are also a few uh social startups around me. There are like so either so solo startups or like a few a few years startup ahead of me. So they could like give me some guidance. Uh. So I, I was quite thankful that uh, there were people like that. Like they would say, Oh, don't worry about the accounting, you'll sort it out. I was like, Wow, I was stressing out over the accounting, uh, all the so-called uh, principle, like how to how to set up accounts or like how to do the CPF payment. I was so worried about even setting up like a, a, a bank account, you know. Like as I had my own personal account, suddenly you're, you're in charge of your own company account. Like even small things like that. Because by hindsight, after uh, two and a half years, you realize, okay, those are learning learning journeys. Uh. It's like the, the bots and nuts of building out a business, uh, even though it's small, but there are psychological barriers that help you to break through. The moment you break through those, then you realize that, okay, don't, don't let those things bog you down. 
uh, still have to keep a vision. Uh, but as a social enterprise, I also must know one, my social value. What is it that I exist to, to bring? So every day I have to remind myself, uh, yes, uh, is to help to, to bless children with great learning about architecture. But at the end of the day, actually, it's not just learning. It's actually how to help them to experience the, 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 the gratitude of how everything comes together. This environment is being created not because uh, by chance. Actually, there are people intentionally putting every material resources together. And if they can get that, and okay, and that is one of the key hope that I want to have the children, to have the sense of gratitude and thankfulness. And also for them to realize that, hey, they themselves are not, did not exist by chance as well. Uh, and they are highly valued uh, people. Every person is valuable. And that's why I, 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 earlier on I talked about the design mentoring idea where an architect can mentor a university student, a university student and architect can teach a youth and teach a children. And that cycle uh, is what actually I hope to build up. So some somebody actually recently asked me also, what is that? That, that motivation, why why beat black, right? So I said, they asked me, is it to create an architecture school for kids? I said, actually, no. They said, then why? I said, the goal is actually, my, my visual goal is this, uh, I, I show you an, an inverted triangle. The inverted triangle looks like this. At the bottom of the, the triangle is actually professional practitioner architects who are, I mentioned, jaded, uh, or maybe like, like they're finding direction, okay? Or, or, or students who love to teach, that's at the bottom. But above that, next layer of triangle is actually young people, youth. So imagine we spend the next three to five years architecture designers who have passion to teach, right? Empowering the youth, mentoring them, showing them the way. The youth will become better architects or better designers or better clients or better engineers or better project managers in the future. And then these youth and architects continue to sow seeds to the, the, big, the top, the upper branch, which is the kids. So these kids grow up to be Oh, I know that there's this Gokoa that helped me out. When I have questions about life, he or she actually told me something. And when I have questions about the trajectory of choices, he or she tells me about how they make choices. And down the road, these kids become a new generation of youth who are more optimistic, also who are more uh, strong believer that we can learn by uh, mentoring, not learn by uh, like instruct, like, like instructing or disciplining them, uh, you know, like, like uh, saying that you're not good enough. But constantly knowing that there are people who will support them. Because I think that's the power of mentoring and, uh, and facilitation through learning. It's not like the rote learning, it's, it's learning through reading a map. So actually, Beat Black would believe that learning is not by learning booklet, it's learning maps. Like, you, how, how, we teach you how to read the compass, how to read the, the, the geography, the terrain, the water, the identifying the, the different kind of uh, bush, trees, you know, or, or danger. And then, and then you navigate and explore those things uh, as you go about learning. Uh, so actually that essentially, uh, it takes a mentor to guide people through a map. Yeah, so that's why Beat Black wants to uh, bring design mentoring to children and youth and also to empower educators uh, to be better educators in what they do and at the same time learning, putting in this idea of design thinking. So because design thinking at the end of the day is not only reserved for architecture, it's actually used across discipline, across industry. And uh, it's, a, it's a kind of mindset that helps uh, human beings to be more empathetic and also be an empathetic problem solver, not just an engineer, functional problem solver to get things done. Yeah, right. so you can think of things in the long term. Yeah. Right. So 
for those who have never heard of design thinking, I, I'm very curious to, her, uh, to, to understand this. Now, in the books, right, design thinking is written in a pretty long paragraph <laughs> and, and basically yeah. it explains nothing. Right. But how do you explain this to kids? Make it so how do you how do you crystallize it so simply for the kids to understand what design thinking is? I, I, I only tell them three keywords. Uh, and these three keywords is from the analogy of like a traffic light. So the first word is see. Second word is wonder. And last one is do. See is like you start to start with observation. Because to solve anything or to design anything, you must first begin with an observation. And that observation. Uh, it can couple with functional needs and also uh, empathy uh, uh, response. So, but you always first start with looking and observing around you. Who has a challenge or what what needs to be better? You know, and the second part about wondering to be curious. Sometimes you see already, you just move away. That's 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 not that's not good enough seeing. A good enough seeing is when you see already, you're curious. You want to find out. You want to ask, you want to probe the problem, you want to look at different ways of uh, how people solve it, and then you start to wonder, could it be, what if, uh, why, uh, wouldn't it be great? You know, So we want to empower the kids to think about this kind of question, instead of, well, what like that, uh, why can't it be, uh, uh, would, uh, would, it, uh, uh, would it be better for me? You know, like It's all about me, me, me. But the wonder is about how to help people to be better and be part of the solution. And then finally, take action to do. Yeah. So see, wonder, and do. We just start with these three steps, and I think every other processes in between the observation, in in within the wondering process, or even in the action of doing, and then the kids can discover. Yeah. Because in children, we don't want to also we don't want to how to pump them too much uh, jargons. Uh, mm. that end up they 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 lose the that that intricacy or that curiosity. Yeah, yeah, because I think to be a good design thinker, it starts with being curious. And I think children are best at that. Right. And thanks for making it so simple. I mean, uh, I never saw it, saw design thinking as that simple. Basically <laughs> feeding your curiosity and looking at it with multiple perspectives. At the same time, right, I think this is sorely lacking uh, in, this, in, in, in this day and age. It's lateral thinking among kids. Mm, yeah that's right so that's that's one of the issues of of being able to apply these principles you know um across the board and so many things so that that really does tie into the next question that i i would like to ask you in design thinking when you're teaching the kids on the other hand by and large right when the parents come in and they ask you what is this all about and you have to explain mm. it to them that this is not just about school but it's about your life uh, mm. how, how do they even like start to wonder you know oh mm. how, how is this going to work for my kid what am i signing up for yep i think that that's a great question because that that has also has been something that uh like my team and i and uh, we have been thinking about how do we communicate there are a few angles of communication some is communicated at the marketing level some at the pedagogical level mm. some at the delivery level so to the different people we have to speak a different kind of language uh. so to the lay person to a parent Maybe the key thing isn't about a very, very difficult language. It's to help them to see, oh, actually your child learned different things, right? You send them for tuition, about math and science, right? So sometimes the, the bottleneck of breakthrough is that the kid haven't seen the application. They, they never see why they, learn, they have to learn this math formula. But if through architecture, through application, through problem solving, they realize that the purpose of those numbers are put together in this way is to solve that particular thing. 
or help them to understand better the scenario, then the scenario will help that them to make feel that learning is actually oh, it's a life. The learning is not just a a hard core number game. It's not just a, a a tick. Then I feel good. It's not just oh because I I I, I did the algebra right or I did the the quadratic equation correct. Therefore, it's like that. Mm. But if they start to see ha, ah, if I learn quadratic equation because so that I can understand patterns of numbers. Of different complex uh, 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 regulation of like breathing hard and or even understand the materiality. Oh, okay, no wonder I have to do this. Or like they they start to see how science and math is connected, or even see how geography and history is connected. Right. Then then they will see learn, learning a new in a new perspective. For right. me, I I had learning disability in reading. So for me, I always find that I need to convert things into diagrams. So uh, one one of the thing I also share with the parents is that. Uh, one of the things that me and, and my facilitator we will do is we pictorize the things in on the board. Our our, our whiteboard. You don't we don't see us draw a lot of words. We always diagramize everything. So visual and spatial learning opens up that possibility. It really summarizes uh, a lot of the wisdom, uh, and 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 making learning really uh, multi layers And sometimes when when we talk to parents, like they say, oh okay, then I can start to see uh how to talk to my kids about. Uh, I don't need to bring in jargons like multidiscipline, intradiscipline, uh, or uh, interdiscipline. I just need to talk about multiple subject uh, application, yeah. uh, applied learning, you know, and then making learning, uh, you know, uh, alive, you know. Then mm. the, the parents will be able to understand. Then for our teachers, let's say when we work with uh, trained pedagogical teachers, then they will start to see ah the mechanics of the learning objectives and how design thinking actually can match. Right. Uh, we can create problem sums together. Uh, sometimes problem sums in math uh, is only limited to math. But how can we create uh, problem sums through uh, uh, through not just through words, through pictures, through maps, you know, through even giving a scenario? So one of the thing that uh, designers we love to do is to create design brief. A design brief is something that a client writes out the their need. Oh, I I needed this thing. You know, I have a mm. I needed to solve this problem. You know, a user requirement, right? Then we come out from the user requirement. And using the looking at the brief, we come out with a solution, and that's what designers we do best. And uh, and I, I, I often time I will tell the teachers actually you guys are uh, experts in design brief creation. They say what what is it? I say actually you guys are ex- you all set exam questions right? Ah, exam questions are like you're setting design briefs. And then your kids are the little uh, designers that are trying to scout, come up with like answers to fit the design brief. It's just that there are standard answers to those design briefs. Mm. But for a designer or in architecture, the answering, there are many ways. There's no one correct answer to that question. Then they say, ah, okay, okay. Then the open-endedness or sometimes the structured questions, uh, they are all applied at the, the right, right timing. Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> Uh, very interesting. I I never saw it that way. Hey, then I also uh one one thing I from the kids lah. I want to move on to the adults now. Uh, because Edric likes freebies. So if how would I apply design thinking to self improvement? Ah, for the adults framework, I have this framework called the deep deep framework. Okay, so just now as we try to teach your kids about the the general score C one to do, but for adults we have to dig deep. But the first D stands for defining the issue. So. So actually, and any adults will also have to identify an issue that we're trying to either solve or identify, right? Then I is to investigate. So again, from an adult's perspective, you know, sometimes we go to Google, we go to the library, you know, we 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 talk to people, interview, right? 
But the G is to generate different ideas. It's actually a kind of like a divergent thinking to generate. So you dig DIG from defining, investigating, mm. and generating ideas. You actually expand and scope up your ideas. So personal for personal uh, things or, or whether pertaining to work or your own uh, self-improvement, then you could actually identify, oh, what are the areas I need to improve? How can I improve them? What are the ways I could improve? Then you, you can pick and choose a few things that suits you. Then deep. D, the first deep is called develop. Then you develop a plan. You develop a plan that you could actually say, oh, okay, uh, from all those ideas, I decided to take a few. Or take out oh, three, I choose one. Or out oh, of five, I choose two. You know, then you experiment. That's where the next E stands for. Then after experiment, you evaluate. Okay, maybe for me, uh, there are all these options, but for me, I decided that this particular type of uh, maybe exercise or this type of reading or this type of method works better. Then you practice, last P. You practice it, and then that becomes part of your life. So dig deep uh, is something that, uh, for, for at least for youth or educators, I will actually impart this process for them to dig deep. Yeah. Even the action itself talks about digging deeper into just what we see on the surface, but defining, investigating, generating, developing, experimenting, mm. evaluating, and practice. I definitely see the need for mentorship in this one already because the thing yes, is, definitely. as an adult, sometimes we're so stuck with our own mental models, right? That yes. we cannot break the barriers already. And it's Correct. you need someone to uh, give you that alternate Ooh. perspective uh, and tell you, hey, this is not the way. Look at it this way instead. And then from there, you can start practicing and opening new doors. That's right. That's right. So I think the willingness to learn, relearn, and unlearn in this process is actually extremely important. Mm -hmm. And then when um, you started getting the doing virtual, right? This year you were saying, uh, sorry, uh, yeah. last year. Um, was Did you tend to notice that the Singaporean market was very unique to itself? Or did you see very uh, commonalities across children from uh, different uh, uh, geographies? Well, definitely. Um, I, okay, I think generally, uh, because the participants I have, I, I would say maybe more than 60% are Singaporeans. Then maybe another twenty percent were my Taiwanese partners, friends, mm. and the the some of the teachers, and uh and there were some participants, other participants were from uh China because there were some one of my partners who worked with China uh markets, they brought in China kids, so they were quite distinct. Like uh, look at Taiwan, Singapore, China, like all three got Chinese speaking world. Uh, so but the the mindsets in which how these kids embrace learning was quite different. Because first of all, uh, on the online thing, it's very instructional. So, of course, as much as making things alive on Zoom, but because it's still like you know, one way on the screen, right? So, okay, some of the kids, I would say from Singapore and China, they were a bit more like waiting for instructional. Like, what's, tell me what's the step one. They were quite afraid that if I don't tell them the steps, uh, they, were feeling, they were feeling a bit unclear. Uh, but there were some kids that I, I mean, that, that were in my Taiwanese friends group, uh, I mean, either they were very playful or they were like, just like a bit, how's it? They're more fluid. Sometimes the steps stumbles them. But giving them a bit more open-endedness, it helps them. So I realized there are different ways of communicating. Yeah, so to the kids in China, they have to, I have to spell to them very clearly what I want to see. Because if I don't tell them what I want to see, then they don't know what to produce. But to the kids in Taiwan, then sometimes I spell too much, too clearly, then they feel oh, like they feel stuck. And, and then they, they don't do as well. Then you, if you give them the open-ended, then something they can do better. Um, so I, I, I don't know exactly what uh, what is the difference, but I realize the communication, the framing of the questions, 
uh, and also maybe the way the, the environment are structured does have some influence on the way they, they learn things. Uh. So virtually, I have to make some adjustment because they're all on the same platform. And I have to say, okay, okay no, no worry. I will say the same thing maybe in a few ways. Then you all take it and interpret it on your own. And then your parents can help you to interpret it and then do it on your own pace. Uh, then I will also have to uh, embrace that the outcome is all varied. Which is okay. Mm. Which is to me is actually a, extremely acceptable that the outcome is all varied. Yeah, because I'm also not looking for one standard answer. In fact, right. when they once they want they say, "Teacher Albert, can you tell me exactly how tall you want me to build?" Then often I'll just say, "No, oh, why? Why do you, you don't have to follow a certain height? You know, you can look at your own uh, uh, measurement to determine how big or how small you want things to be." Right. So sometimes uh, we just need a bit of assurance to to tell them that they can do it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. And then, so now you've done physical, you've done virtual, <clears throat> you've done international. Okay. Let's put it that way. And so what's the next milestone for you then? Right now, uh, as we're anchoring our studio in uh, Pandan Gardens, in 200 Pandan Gardens, in the, it's actually in the Enrichment Sports Hub. Mm. Uh, so uh, it's a totally different ballgame because when you have the root in a place to grow our, our learners, uh, uh, it also means the commitment of uh, learning is in a different level. Yeah, so this this next milestone to me is uh, is uh, is uh, is an important one because it's also an important engagement to uh, to not let design thinking just be a a teaser or just a fun uh, experience. It's something that people could actually immerse for a longer period of time and see growth and changes in the the way they think and also the way they could learn from uh, more people, uh, not just teachers. Uh, that maybe parents will open up to see that, oh, my child could learn from an architect, my child could learn from a designer, uh, or a designer could teach, you know, that their mindset uh, is, is, a, is a mind-boggling at times, but sooner or later they will see that, hey, actually, uh, in, the in a given ecosystem like this, uh, any practitioners who have passion, uh, they could teach, and the best way to learn is to teach, right? So uh, we create a platform, having a big lab as a more uh, like a like a permanent uh, like a permanent permanent academy. Uh, you also will push us to really look deeper into our pedagogy because uh, when I have to design workshop that's pure for experiential uh, for entertainment, right? It's a different mm. approach, but we have to design a workshop for long-term learning, scaffold the learning, and create enough challenge not to temper, hamper their interests, but at the same time, not to make them feel complacent. So those are things that uh, now I have to look more deeper. And also training my facilitators, communicating how to deliver, creating that educational system that no longer is about Albert Liang teaching. It's about the big black way of teaching that uh, my, my, my students, they can become the facilitator and they can pass on the torch to the next and to the next. So my challenge now, I, I scale out in these three words called ISA, I-S-A. I stands for impact, uh, S stands for scalable, and A stands for authentic. So the next level of challenge is how do I still, uh, as, I, as I grow, how do I stay impactful on the, the, the front of design mentoring? and should deliver qual uh, quality and really high level of uh, design thinking uh, themes that engage the kids and a scalable educational model that uh, can train the facilitators, architectural practitioners, uh, or, or, or even architectural students to bring, bring it to the, the children. And the last one, authentic, is as you grow, sometimes you may miss the, the first love for what you do, right? So being authentic at what we do at every level, and it starts at the leadership level. 
I have to believe that authenticity is the important thing that it has to trigger down every person that comes into Beep Lab. In your eyes, what do you think the most critical skill uh, for yourself is uh, to, to basically uh, master your area of business? Well, I, I, at this point, I can't say I'm, I've mastered any form of business yet. I wouldn't say I, I'm, I'm still learning. But I think definitely uh, two aspects of, uh, of to being an entrepreneur is a willingness to, to learn and also being open, having that, that, that state of openness to accept criticism. 13 months ago, before COVID-19 starts, my mentor actually came to me and said, hey, Albert, I think you need to tweak your business model. Uh, it was very hard to hear because you, you want to hear things that your mentor or firm that or your, your direction is on the right right path, but they, but instead she sit you down telling you that uh, if you don't make adjustments, things are not going well for you. Uh, it took me seven, another seven months before I could make a visible adjustment that was, ah, okay, then there's a significant enough change. It, the, the change wasn't like, okay, after hearing it, next day I could change. Not something, there's, there was something that's structural or there's something that is contractual that I couldn't adjust uh, immediately. Uh, but COVID-19 did give me a chance, that period of time, to, to break some of those uh, uh, contractual issues. <laughs> because at, the, at those times, uh, those school contract was kind of like uh, uh, cancelled. So because of the so-called uh, emergency break on the overall environment, it gave me an opportunity to say, okay, uh, now I have a chance to really kind of like parachute out from the things I was doing that wasn't going so right to really re-pivot and adjust the way I conduct my business. That's why I still feel like it goes back to that that uh, that, that openness to, to hear first and to, to sit on it and also to, to, to analyze and then to, to, to also allow uh, yourself to, to, to embrace challenges. Uh, then I think that, 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 that posture will help us to overcome a lot of issues because if not, sometimes we can become too prideful and then we'll become very defensive and any good advice or any good people will just bounce away from you. Mm. So uh, for me, my, my natural temperament is actually very rash. So I need to learn to just uh, hold it together and not to be too rash in my, my, my response, but to slow down. Yeah, so uh, I really love this, this, uh, this uh, advice from my, my pastor. He told me during the circuit breaker, he told us this, eat, pray, grow. I was like, wow. So you see, this is all you want us to do during circuit breaker. And that, so just eat, you know, continue fellowship and eat with your family, you know, and pray for people and grow, you know. So so even as simple as that, uh, it also changed my state of mind, uh, of uh, pace of life, and also it will help me to see things in a different this different perspective. And I think leadership, uh, at the end of the day, also takes. Uh, uh, we need to lead by example, uh, and uh, and so I, I was just thinking about this. Uh, these four words, uh, lead by example, encouraging the heart, uh, aligning vision, and also to uh, dedication. So L-E-A-D, uh, you know, that, that's something that, uh, mm. that, that also governs some of the, the direction that I have to, to move forward as a, as a leader in the in whatever work that we do. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, on your end, eat, pray, grow was, was very eventful. On my end, eat, pray, grow was just basically eat enough, uh, lie down and pray, and then after I'll eventually I'll grow fat. Lah. That was no problem. <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, speaking of which, like, this transits into actually work-life balance. Like, you're a very energetic person. Like, I mean, really comes across as really great energy and all this, right? What's your routine like from the moment you wake up to the moment, moment you go to bed? Wake up strong. Don't go to bed wrong. At the first part of the circuit breaker, I didn't wake up very strong, okay? But 
But later on, I realized one of the important things is to wake up earlier. Like, so I, I realized that I was easily distracted in the middle of the day. So I then eventually I started to create a routine that I would try to wake up about 5, 5.30. Mm. So that I could like just be in the peace and quiet. There's no phone call, no phone. Like, like I can just like do some reflection and journaling and read a book. Yeah, so that, that helps me. So, and then I'll try to go for a morning run. Yeah, like maybe about 7 to 8. Yeah, then sweat it out. And then by the time I help my wife to prepare breakfast and just... Just get the day going. Like before nine, you get all those things sorted out. You just feel like, oh, okay, now I can just sit down and mm. and, and, and do actual work. For all the podcasts that we've done so far, uh, this question always comes up, you know, what's your routine like? And all these different iterations of this is wake up, wake up early, um, get yourself centered first. Always mm. have your exercise, nourish your body, nourish your mind. And then you can go on with your day and don't go to bed angry. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. yeah so it all, it, the different iterations, but I realized that people with great energy, right? All do this. There's no one who is like <laughs> constantly raging all the time and still waking up feeling fresh and great and still able mm-hmm. to do what they do. I mean, it, I feel yeah. getting angry is more tiring than it is to be happy. Uh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So wake up strong, don't go to bed wrong. <laughs> right. Nice. Okay. So, uh, thanks so much for, for joining us this week. La. I mean, but before we end off, right, I always finish off with this epic questionnaire. So, okay. uh, Albert Liang, are you ready? Okay. All right. Question one. One word that you love the most? Built. One word that you dislike the most? Take. If you could have a conversation with one person, fictional, non-fictional, dead or alive, who would that be? Um, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> and what do you say to yourself in the mirror every morning? Be present and stay alive one day at a time. Name one superpower that you like to have. Healing. Healing. Okay. And what? What? Sorry. What kind of healing would that be? Whether this like any kind of healing or? Uh, it could be physical healing or emotional healing. Favorite dish to eat. This one's the toughest one, as I think. Oh, my my wife's uh, ABC soup. <laughs> she she's in the room, right? <laughs> Favorite travel spot. Uh, I'll go back to Taiwan. And uh, okay, outside of Taiwan, what's the next travel spot you'd uh, like to go to with your wife once uh, borders uh, open uh, up? If, uh, then Malaysia. Mm, okay, yeah. So, something in the arts that you've always wanted to do, but yet to do so. Um, I publish my own manga. Publish your own manga? You you act, you still draw, is it? I still draw, but I, I, I love manga. So I, I do wish one, one day I could uh, publish my own manga. What does retirement look like to you? Uh, I want to be able to work and mentor and steward uh, until I'm 90 years old. I'm inspired by my mentor, Dr. Ann Taylor, who is still mentoring and uh, helping me even at, when she's like 80 plus. Wow. So I, I want to be like that. Amazing. And last one, I think you may have covered this, but hell, let's do it again. How do you want to be remembered? What's your legacy? Uh, someone who brings joy to the room, uh, able to connect lives and hearts. Fantastic. You've definitely brought joy to this room. Thank you so much for joining us this week, Albert. And uh, for everybody else who's listening, thanks again for joining us and supporting uh, the Epic Podcast. You know, so, um, you know, we're on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it is. If you can find us, please support, subscribe, leave a comment, like, do whatever it is you need to do because, you know, um, we need your support and we'll carry on bringing more people to this podcast to join the Epic family. So with that, Albert and I, Peace out. Peace.